We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, what makes a life creative? Are you born creative, or is creativity something that can be cultivated? You are now about to enter the nerve center to the entire Wonka factory. Inside this room, all of my dreams become realities, and some of my realities become dreams. What's the difference between a creative career and a creative life? If you're a student who cares about creativity, should you focus or explore? For you know, 20 years at least, I've been saying that creativity is encouraged by questioning everything. And I guess you have a slogan here, which I did not realize. Our guest is Scott Forstall, inventor of the iPhone and Tony Award-winning Broadway producer. Recorded in front of a live audience of budding creatives at Stuyvesant High School in New York City. The Creative Life. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Is creativity something you're born with? Or can it be cultivated? What can young people do to prepare themselves to live more creative lives? This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from Stuyvesant High School in New York, in front of an audience of New York City high school students and their parents. And we're continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner at Stanford University, where Ken teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're thinking about the creative life. Ah, the creative life. That sounds fantastic, man. I wish I had one of those. <laughs> Josh, come on. Don't be so modest. Come on, you, you write about literature and philosophy. Uh, surely that's got to be creative in and of itself. You know, look, writing novels, that would be creative, or, or poetry. And, and trust me, Ken, you do not want to read my poetry. Oh, come on, it, it can't be that bad. Oh, yeah, it remind me to show you my ode to a toenail clipping. If you really want to be a better poet, you want to be more creative, well, why don't you do something about it? Go over to the English department and take a creative writing class or something, for example. Yeah, but you know, I just don't think it's that easy. I mean, look, okay, if someone's already creative, then a class can help them. It can sharpen their skills and so on. But, but if you're like me and you don't have a creative bone in your body, then I'm afraid there's not much hope for you. Wow. I'm shocked, man. You've got such a fixed mindset. No wonder you don't consider yourself creative. You've got to change it up. You've got to switch from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset, Josh. No, I see, I see what you're doing. You're channeling our good friend and colleague, Carol Dweck, the, the famous Stanford psychologist. That's exactly what I'm doing, and I'm right to do that because Carol has shown that many qualities of mind that we might think are just fixed, they can actually be cultivated. And you know, Josh, it's a really bad idea to go around thinking that your character is just given by, I don't know, your DNA or your genes or something like that. Because if you think that way, you may just give up and you, know, you won't even work to do the work you need to get better, like at poetry, for instance. All right, uh, so let me get you straight. Uh, you're saying my fixed belief that I'm not creative, that's the reason my poetry is so bad? I mean, all I have to do is believe, like Tinkerbell and Peter Pan? Well, okay, I'm not quite saying that. I'm not saying 
all you have to do is believe like Tinkerbell or Pinocchio. But you know, Josh, changing to a growth mindset, that would be a start at least. It might actually motivate you to try and become a better poet. Can we change the subject from my terrible poetry? No, you're the one who brought it up. Yeah, all right, all right. But okay, look, you, you seem to think that creativity is like self-discipline, right? It's something you can learn, right? So, so maybe you start off a bit lazy, but with the right training, you can become a more focused person. Well, I do think that. That's obviously right. You, you can't possibly disagree. Yeah, I do disagree. I think creativity is more like brilliance. I mean, you can't train someone to be a genius. Either they are or they aren't. Uh, look, look, I'm not denying that some people, or maybe they start out more naturally creative than others, you know, with a little bit more of this. Just as some people are, yeah, more naturally disciplined than others. But take any person, put them the right training, the right education, and they'll become better than they were when they started. That's why a growth mindset is so important, Josh. So you think we can have something like a boot camp to make people more creative? Not if you put it that way, I do. And, and you know what? The university, that's exactly what it is. It's a boot camp for creativity. Yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty good slogan. And you know what that makes you and me? What? Drill sergeant to the mind. Yeah, there you go, Josh, and now you're getting it. And that's why we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Liza Veal, to speak to some Stanford alums about how they continually foster creativity in their own lives. She files this report. Tamiko Teal is an artist and a computer graphics pioneer. I like her definition. I see creativity as being the life force that enables you to look at the world around you and say, what could be different? And how could I make those changes? Teal comes from the kind of parents who had diverse interests and pursued many of them to the point of professional mastery. She describes the way creativity for her father was a way of being in the world, a more present and engaged and playful way. She remembers... Going on walks with my father and him pointing out, look at this texture, look at how the slats of the fence create a rhythm as you're walking past them. And then he'd say, oh, let's go you know, down to the, the harbor, and he would just go onto a ship and down into the engine room. And as a kid, I'm going like, Dad, we're not supposed to be here. But not everyone has such a joyful, fanciful relationship with the creative process. The like survival mode where you just like get abandoned in a strange land and are forced to fend for yourself. This is Jonathan Fetter-Vorm, a graphic novelist who makes historical comic books. I think that's the kind of creativity that I subscribe to, the sink or swim kind that brings out really fantastic results. He's working on a book about the moon landing, and recently he got taken on this long digression into all this research about astrology and navigation by the stars, and he told me this panic had set in because he couldn't find a good way to use any of that research he'd spent all this time on in the book. And it was I mean, one of these kind of like late night as I'm falling asleep modes that I kept going over the diaries that Kepler kept. The astronomer Johannes Kepler kept these really intense diaries where he detailed why he was so inadequate and why he was never going to amount to anything. In my own panic, I kept going over the words that Kepler was using to describe his own internal anxieties. And that was when I realized that I was fixating so much on this anxiety that Kepler is the perfect person to hinge this whole story on. In other words, it was actually his own insecurity that led him to a compelling human narrative and character around which he could structure this astronomy lesson that he really wanted to give. 
Obstacles generate creativity, discomfort, dissonance, and the synthesis of disparate things. Tamiko Teal, the technologist and artist, she grew up in a time when being biracial was seen as a deficit. But from her parents... We were told constantly, you're so lucky to have two entirely different cultures and worlds uh, that you're intimate with, that you're a part of, that you can draw from. Teal's professional work also synthesizes disparate ways of being. Early in her career, she pursued degrees in computer engineering and developed as a visual artist. At the time, these two fields were very distinct, even adversarial. But she questioned the idea that technology could be separate from questions of the human heart. And she also disagreed that so-called media arts were less than so-called fine arts. She brought together tools from both disciplines. If you look at people who are considered to be creative, that's exactly what they're doing. They're putting together things that other people weren't putting together before. For Jonathan Federvorm, the graphic novelist, part of creativity is empathic. It's about not being locked in your own experience, but being open enough to discern other people's, even the people you think you know best. He tells me earlier that day, he and his 15-month-old son were walking in a hillside covered in fireweed, this dandelion-like flower. And the cotton was getting caught up in the winds and swirling around in cyclones around us. At first he was scared, and then he was gleeful, and then he was just silent. It takes a little creativity to share that experience with a baby. But if you can, then you've got... This mundane thing that I know and understand transforming into just a wonder of the universe. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Liza Veal. To hear the rest of this program, head over to philosophytalk.org. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking.